This is Stacy Eldridge. Welcome to Captivated. This world vies for our attention in a thousand different ways. But the most important thing, the preeminent thing, the essential thing, is to give our attention to Jesus. Welcome, friends. It's Stacy here. I pray for you right now that the truth of your belovedness seeps deeper into your bones. I am so happy to share this time with you today. Today, I have a guest with me that needs no introduction, but I'm going to introduce her anyway. I have the joy and honor of being with the fabulous and passionate Lisa Bevere. Welcome, Lisa. Welcome, Stacy. <laughs> For those of you who don't know Lisa, I'm going to read a little bit of her bio from different places just to help you get acquainted and to get excited about what we're going to talk about today. Lisa is a wife, a mother, a godmother. She's a speaker and a New York Times bestselling author. Back in 1990, she and her husband, John, who was a minister as well, known for his uncompromising approach to God's words and also an international best-selling offer. Together, they founded Messenger International. Messenger International, if you don't know of it, it has the vision to revolutionize global discipleship. It provides translated resources to everyone, everywhere. It's so beautiful. They've made it their mission to provide discipleship resources to every person, regardless of where they live, what language they speak, or what their financial situation is. They believe that when people discover and personalize the good news, they will become messengers in their own right. They'll be sharing God's story of redemption and reconciliation through their everyday lives and reaching whatever world God has placed them in. I also want to share with you Lisa's Instagram description because it's short and it's beautiful. And she is a truth-telling Sicilian grandma a New York Times bestselling author, and a cancer survivor. Lisa is a powerful teacher. She's committed to helping us find our voice, to make meaningful connection, and to walk forward in everything that God has for us. Wow. See, I told you she is fiercely passionate. She's fiercely passionate for the kingdom of God. So Lisa, before we start, is there anything else we should know about you before we go on? No. I. I just, I love that our paths reconnect, Stacy. I love that you highlight the love of God. And I love that you pair it with the fierce love of God. And so, no, I am, I'm in the middle of writing a book right now, which you know is incredibly painful. And um, I love that you and John have always exemplified honoring both male and female. And I feel like right now, that is something that is so necessary. So I'm, I just want to honor back to you and John, I believe you're both New York Times bestselling authors and you're not, you're, our paths crossed in Home Depot. How yes. Three boys and I, yes. have, so we have seven sons between us. And uh, so that's a common bond right there. It is. And I went on a short trip recently and on the plane, I had the unexpected gift of sitting next to Lisa. What a fabulous surprise. And Lisa, that conversation was the highlight of my trip. Oh, you know, and I still want to get with you about those intercessors because I 
uh, I had such an awareness that that I needed to I needed to have that spiritual covering as I go forward. And um, I just I love that you took the time to highlight that. And I love that right away. I was like, do I know you? And you're like, <laughs> we met at Home Depot a really long time ago looking at cabinet knobs, if I remember right. Yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, that's great. So as you know, this podcast, Captivated, it's devoted to helping men and women turn their gaze once again on the lover of their soul, the Lord Jesus Christ, so that they fall again more in love with him. Because the more we know him as he truly is, the more we love him. So I love to ask my guests about their relationship with Jesus. So could you tell us when did you first fall in love with him? Okay, so first of all, you need to know, Stacy, I came from bad girl jeans. I was an exceptional heathen. I had never heard the gospel. Uh, if I heard anything kind of like it, I remember I was walking across the campus at University of Arizona. Somebody told me I was going to hell. And I was like, yep, you're, you're probably right. I probably am headed to hell. But I did not have a connection with a God of judgment. I, I heard that all of my life. But for the very first time, when I was 21 years of age, the man who is now my husband invited me to a Bible study picnic. And I heard about the love of Jesus for the very first time. Oh, wow. John had told me that God had asked him to ask me out to share the gospel with me. And he said, God loves you so much that if you were the only one, he sent his son to die for you. And so you see, I was so aware of who I was, mm-hmm. my shame, my guilt, my bad choices. And I found myself overwhelmed by the love of God. I was so compelled that John didn't even get to do the Christianity pitch. I just said, I don't, I don't know how to do this Christian thing, but what do we need to do? Light candles. What do we need to do? I said, <laughs> what do, do this right now. When you've experienced the love of God. And, and I love that you have made it very clear that God loves us into a place of wholeness because the more I pursue him, the more he reveals me, not, not the me of my past, but the me of who he created me to be Yes, because we're growing in, growing in the likeness of his love for us. And, you know, so many people right now, they're pursuing self-actualization, self-awareness. And when you look at self, when you look at self, you'll actually feel like God shouldn't love you. You know, mm-hmm. self-love mm-hmm. only goes so far, but yeah. God's love, he loves us into that wholeness, to that place, to that realization of who he is. And um, and I love that God doesn't have a dispassionate love for us. He doesn't love us because he has to love us. Right. Jesus died for us. He loves us. You know, because I feel like God will give you different layers. So I got born again, uh, filled with the Holy Spirit on my first date with John. And he said, you know, now you're saved. And I said, what does that even mean? And he said, it means you're whole again, spirit, soul, and body. And he had no idea. He was talking to a 21-year-old girl who was uh, broken on every level, eating disorder, lactose intolerance. So I just said, oh, so now that I'm a Christian, I can have cheese? I I said, you just said... I was whole. So now that I'm a Christian, I can have cheese. And John just about panicked, grabbed my hands. He was like, God, if you can save her, then it's nothing to heal her. And, and Stacy, what I felt come into my body in that moment was like 
the love of God came into my stomach and untied all the knots that have been there since I was 15. And um, I just ate a bunch of cheese. I am Italian. I need to have cheese in my life. And so, uh, I mean, I wish I could say every time I've ever had something, that's how it happened. But God won me, healed me, restored me and called me by his love. Oh, yes, that is so beautiful. And I, I love, it seems like at the beginning of our walks with him, there is this extra dispensation of grace like this. Yes. Your mind, whoa, let me tell yes. you what this means. Now let's walk in it together. Let's, yes. Yeah. How is he pursuing you these days, Lisa? How's he wooing your heart? Well, I, um, I actually just wrote a book called fiercely love God, God's wild thoughts about you. Um, I feel like God has been showing me that his thoughts towards me not only are constant, but they are so out of the realm of my understanding that he he has this like an attitude towards me that I can't. Okay, well, let me go back. So it's my husband's 60th birthday. Uh, John and I are four days apart, which uh, isn't my, I think my birthday is on your husband's birthday, June 6th. Is that right? Yes, that's right. Good memory. Okay. Yeah. So uh, John's June 2nd, I'm June 6th. And we were celebrating his 60th birthday and I found myself in a spa. I'm sitting there. I, I walk up to the mountains. I look at this incredible vista and I notice there's two women sitting in high back chairs and they look at me like, you're not with us. And so, you know, you're all in robes, you need to back away. So I backed away from the women. I'm sitting in a corner, a young girl walks in, she goes right up to the window, has the same experience I have, the two angry spa women shame her. She turns around, looks at me and she starts crying. Oh. And I'm like, what's going on? She opens up her arms and she has a copy of my book without my <gasps> What? So I sit down with her she's crying. She's telling me I'm newly married. I moved from Dallas to Houston. I, I've got a new job, new husband, new life, new friends. And I said, well, this sounds like an adventure. And she said, no, I'm just so afraid of missing God. Um, now, I don't know if you've had people express that kind of desire yes. to you of pure hearted people afraid that they're going to miss God. Yes. So I talked to her and I said, you know, the enemy of our souls will use our ultimate desire to please our father to actually freeze us so that we're so afraid of making a mistake or a misstep that we don't even take a step. And so I prayed with her. She left and I went back to the room and I was pondering on that conversation. And I heard God say, I'm a really big target. Where could you look? Oh, that's so good. My wonder, right? You look at the mountains and you see the refuge that is higher than I. Mm -hmm. You look at the stars. You see a covenant keeping God. You listen to the ocean. You see this God of power and might. You feel the embrace of this, the wind. You have an awareness of the Holy Spirit. And right there, I just thought, oh my gosh, of course. And then you have this whole idea of Psalm 139, where it says, you hem me in behind and before. And that's great. A God in our past, a God in our future, but he doesn't stop there. He says, and you put your hand upon me. And I feel like right now, people more than any other time need to know that God is personally engaged with them. 
He's putting their, his hand on them. And he says, it's, it's too marvelous. It's too wonderful. It's too high, David said. I can't even attain it. So I don't know if he's saying I can't comprehend it or I can never earn it. But both of those things. And so for me, uh, going into this last crazy season of a God who was in our past and in our future, but engaged in our moment, a God whose mercy follows us, which means we don't sit and freeze, a God who's saying, I'm not afraid of your mistakes, a God who's saying to us, just because you make a mistake doesn't mean you are a mistake. If you can just keep moving forward, I can redirect you. I just have found this God of wonder in a season of questions. Oh, that is so good. That Isn't is that just... amazing? I'm too big of a target. Okay, I love that. <laughs> I just love that. You are not going to miss me. I'm too big of a target. Just turn your, just turn to me. And yeah. also that he's not threatened by us us making a mistake it's not the end of the road how he uses that and shifts us hones us it's just it's so good that's so encouraging lisa one of the things that you are passionate about is people coming to know their identity in christ both who they are and who they're meant to be um, can you speak to the listeners today about that? Because we need reminding. Yeah. Well, first and foremost, I love that God does not call us mother. He does not call us wife. He does not call us minister. He does not call us author, doctor, speaker, lawyer. Those are all roles. He doesn't call us by our roles. He calls us by our relationship. Mm. He calls me daughter. So who I am to him is more important than what I could possibly do for him. Matter of fact, God is actually more concerned about a relationship with me than me doing ministry for him. And I think too many people ask God to use them. Whereas I, I remember, okay, and again, I got saved in the 80s, which was kind of a weird time to get saved. But I remember it was like a popular prayer to pray. God, use me. Use me to do this. Use me to do this. And, and I think, I think I prayed like that for a couple months when I felt the Holy Spirit say, Lisa, have you ever been used by a friend? And right. Thought, yes. How did you feel? Betrayed. Have you ever been used by a boyfriend? Oh, you, you weren't supposed to remember that. He's like, how did you feel? Shame. He said, I don't use people. I'll use their circumstances. He said, I anoint you. I heal you. I transform you into my image. He said, Satan uses people. He said, now I'll use circumstances. I'll use life lessons, but who you are to me is more important. And I think that was the beginning, thankfully, Stacy, of how God began to talk to me. And I think, again, people identify as what they do instead of whose they are. And so we have a generation trying to discover what they're called to do when they don't even know who they are, because they don't know who they are, because they don't know whose they are. And so I'm thankful that when I was first born again, I found out who I was in the presence of God, which was daughter. And I remember John and I had gone to South Korea, very quick turnaround, carry on only bags. And I flown home, I was super tired. And I lay down to take a nap. And I heard, I heard, I do not love my children equally. I was like, oh, 
what did I bring up from South Korea? Did I bring home a blasphemy spirit? God, you got to love us all the same. And he said, same implies that one of you are replaceable. Equal says my love can be measured. He said, I don't have love for you. I am love for you. He said, I don't love my children equally. I love them uniquely. And the term unique means without rival. God doesn't love women more and men less. He doesn't love Stacy more and Lisa less. God loves Stacy uniquely, Lisa uniquely. He weaves us uniquely. You have three boys. I remember when I had my first son, I was so in love with Addison. I thought, I, I want to have five more. I want to have like as many boys as possible. And then I got pregnant with my second son and I began to panic because I thought I was going to have to take the love I had for Addison and cut it in half and share it equally. But when I had Austin, that's not what happened. A whole new portal of my heart opened up and the things I love about Austin are different than the things I love about Addison, but I can't quantify it because I have a unique relationship with both of them. And that's how God speaks to me. He loves me uniquely. He loves you uniquely. He loves women uniquely. And I think right now we, we are buying into the lie that what we do is our, our identity or our sexuality is our identity rather than our relationship is our identity. And so we have an identity crisis because we've got this whole generation of young people trying to discover what they're called to do when I actually think God wants to do a new thing, but that new thing is going to be birthed by a heart thing of being connected to God. It's so powerful. As you're talking, like my heart is bursting within me. Just we have fire. the same heart on these issues, I think. We do. We really do. So it's so beautiful. And also I'm remembering that's when I came to Christ too in 1981. And it was wow. really about if you're going to love him, if you're going to have a surrendered life, then yeah. get busy. And it, and it was yes, praying. To get busy, work, work the gospel. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And, yeah. and use me like that. That was the highest thing. So to step into the reality that my worth, our worth doesn't stem from what we do, but whose we are and what he says, that changes yeah. everything. There's the fuel for the fire of our heart and our passion and partnering with him. It's so good. And I think you and John have done a really good job talking about something that I still find to be very challenging in the body of Christ. I, I remember addressing it in a number of my books and people, heresy, you know, where, where they will say that the heart is wicked. Now, the unregenerated, unborn again heart, yes. It, they'll say the heart is wicked. Who can tame it? You know, but then God says, I got, and he gives the answer. And so God comes and does a heart transplant. A when heart transplant. Yep. Again, he's like, okay, Lisa, Stacey, I'm going to take out your heart of stone. And I'm going to give you a heart of flesh. I, like, I remember, I remember the night I got born again, coming back to my college dorm room and saying, okay, God, I need you to stay out here. You know, I mean, I was like, Jesus, I didn't know who was with me. Jesus, stay in the hallway. I got some things I need to get out of my room. Now, no one <laughs> told me that, but now that my heart was new, I sensed things that I didn't sense before. I was tender to things that I wasn't tender before. Things I thought was funny weren't funny anymore. There, everything changed because my heart was made new. Yes. And I, I feel like right now we've got this crippled 
mentality of the love of God because everybody can't receive God's love because they think they're wicked. They think I've got a wicked heart and a good God. But when I believe that the moment I got born again, my spirit came alive and my heart became new and I had to renew my crazy mind. That was the, that was the thing I had to work on. Right. Oh, that's so absolutely true. And it, it reminds me of the truth that we are called to crucify our flesh, but we're not called to crucify our heart. That's and, right. then the, and then I also love the ongoing transformation because I'm finding that like in the last 10 years, I can't watch things that I could watch 20 years ago. It's like uh, uh, off now. I can't read things that somehow because the, the holiness that we are called to increases and we're called to be holy as he is holy. So what you're reminding me too of Lisa is out of your devotions book called strong. Yes. To live a powerful and passionate life. And I actually like to read from 164 where you wrote on a new heart. Okay. Yeah. From that Ezekiel 36, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. Lisa writes, as Christians, we are constantly trying to keep a tender heart, or as the Bible calls it, a heart of flesh. This is a heart that grows in compassion, love, and in sensitivity to God's leading. Heaven governs by a sacred code of love written on our heart. Dead, lifeless rules etched in stone are for dead, hard hearts. The law of liberty is for tender hearts of flesh rather than hard hearts of stone. I should warn you, though. And I love that you write this tender hearts have a greater capacity for both love and pain than stony hearts do. If allowed hurt can harden our hearts. And if we're not careful, it will slowly, but surely displace the things of God in our life, feeling heavy and drained. It's a symptom of this. A heavy heart finds it harder and harder to forgive others. It's exhausting to live on the edge of bitterness or resentment. The good news is that even the hardest heart can be liberated by the truth of God's words. Okay, you continue, and it's absolutely beautiful, but I'm just do the last paragraph. Even now, there may be a reasoning war in your mind. One side brings up the names of those who have hurt you, imploring you to forgive and release them. The other side argues that you are justified in your hatred or resentment of them. Surrender to the first voice. Don't imagine that a hard heart will protect you. It won't. Okay, I highly recommend this book of devotions as I do every of Lisa's books because it's that level of truth and encouragement that is is filled with wisdom and life. Is there anything you'd like to add just to that reading about living a surrendered life? Yes, I think a lot of people mistake guarding their heart with imprisoning it. Ah, They think... They think I'm going to put my heart in lockdown, right? Guard what's precious. You give it the right place. You present it to the right people. But when you imprison something, that's when you make it captive. And I think too many people have captive hearts and they think they're guarding it. And, you know, the truth is, listen, you and I've been around long enough to be hurt. Yes. <laughs> and, and we, I've got a great husband, but my husband's hurt me. He didn't yes. do it on purpose. Uh, he did. I've hurt my husband. Right. I, you know, I didn't do it on purpose. Well, maybe a couple of times I've done it on purpose, but, but the majority of times 
it's been on an accident. But what happens is if we don't constantly keep our, our hearts and our minds uh, tender before the Lord, then, then we're going to actually lock it down. Now, one of the things that I love that you brought up earlier was there's things you can't watch anymore that maybe you used to be able to watch. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that's not necessarily because things have gotten worse. It's, it's been bad for a while, but when you actually begin to love God and you ask him into every area of your life and your heart, things that will grieve you, you'll, you'll watch that and you'll be like, oh no, I can't, I can't do that. And I feel like there's a, a call to holiness and holiness is not about you and I trying to be good in our own strength or make rules. Like we don't watch R rated movies, but holiness is this desire to live in such a way that people know we're gods. That, that means yes. how we interact with people, how we, what we use to entertain ourselves, our life of generosity, our words of generosity and, and holy means to be set apart. It doesn't mean to be mean. It doesn't mean that you judge everybody else. But I do think people realize um, that when you live in holiness, not legalism, they they see an otherness to you. Whereas legalism is a a religion, holiness is an otherness. It's, I belong to another space and time. I'm here passing through. This is not my home. My heart is deposited into an eternal place. And I long for that. And you know, I, I just, I love what I'm seeing um, with women. I feel like there's this moment where women are starting to realize, I want our tenderness back. Yes. Do, do you, do, are you sensing that? Yeah, this, this, instead of despising how men. we're created, honoring yes. it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And esteeming yeah. that value versus thinking it means weakness. Instead yeah. of it's it's a character of God and it's a way that we bear his image and there's incredible strength to that. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. You know, I I um I don't always see not being able to hit as hard as a weakness. <laughs> you know, I mean, we are warriors for life. Yes. We are warriors that take life. We're warriors that give life. And I, I'm just watching as our culture has progressed from a place of uh intimacy to lust. Women are starting to say, wait a minute, I, I, I feel like I'm losing in this interchange because we have a famine of intimacy and an epidemic of lust. And yet there's never any fulfillment. There's never any wholeness. And uh, intimacy feels very different than than lust because lust just demands, demands, demands. Um, and uses, right? Yeah. Uses and, and then feels shame. Shame, mm-hmm. shame comes in. And then they keep going back to try to recover their power. And, and I, I feel like right now uh, there's an awakening among God's daughters who are finding their voice and, and using it to wash the bride of Christ with the water of the word, to evoke her beauty, to wash off her shame, to call one another to a place of longing, because we, we do not have a culture of longing. We have a culture of instant gratification, mm-hmm. call people to a culture of intimacy, call people to a a culture of honor, call people to a culture of building one another up in their holy faith. And, you know, again, like John and I, the other night, I'm trying to think we were trying to watch something and it sounded very clean on its description. And I want to say within the first two minutes, we were like, well, nope, we got to turn that off. 
It really, let's go look at National Geographic. I mean, we, right. We find so that so often. A highly recommended show from somebody. And we from start Christian. to go, whoa, no. And there it's back to the nature channel. It's, it's true. <laughs> because I have to, I have to keep my mind on what's over is pure, what's over is true, what's over just, what is a good report. I have a very vivid imagination. So I'm going to keep that imagery and imagination for the things of God. And not those things that are going to war against the spirit. Yeah, that's critical. And that has to partner with that's holiness set apart, not yeah. being a part of this world. Yes. Really important. So, so good. All of this is so good. So um, Lisa, right now in this season of your life, because, you know, now you're a grandmother, which grandmother is six. marvelous. Yeah. Is, is that teaching you anything more about Jesus or, or can you just even put some words to in your imagination? What do you love about him? What are some of his characteristics that just capture you? I love that he actually sees me at how, okay. All right, so how I've learned to parallel with my grandkids is how Jesus has loved me. Like their parents probably see their flaws. Yeah. Their parents probably see, oh, they didn't do this. I see my grandkids in the potential. Like I don't see them in the problem. I see them in the potential. And so because I see my grandkids that way, I am very careful about what's spoken over them, what limitations are put on them, what labels would go on them. Uh, I get... I get the privilege of living down the street from five of my six grandkids. I, I try to on purpose have intentional conversations about them, but the same things that I would feel protective about them for is how Jesus feels about me. And I think that reflection of not a critic, but someone that's loving someone into a wholeness or the best of who they are and, uh, you know, and this is an interesting day and age. Um, and, and I feel like with, um, with so much of our culture, it's about, oh, I've got this, or I'm more than enough. No, no. In him, in Christ. Yes. And so I think having that intimate relationship and having them implanted in Christ and telling them who they are becoming, because we're all growing into the likeness of Jesus Christ, what we should be. And so when I see my kids, I, I see one thing. I think when I see my children, I can still see some of my failures with their parenting. But when I see my grandkids, I see nothing but potential. That's it. And, that, and I feel like that's how Jesus sees me. Oh, that's so good. That explains so much about my relationship with my grandchildren. <laughs> it's true. It's true. When my children were young, it's how, how to, oh, we need to work on this. We need to work on that. But seeing the problems versus seeing the potential, I want to translate that to my other relationships. I love that. So before we close, is there anything else on your heart that you'd like to speak to our listeners about? Yeah, I, I think... I would love just to underscore a little bit more. Um, we have such an incredible opportunity as women. I feel, Stacy, that there is this battle against the daughters of God, where we have the culture sexualizing what it means to be a woman. And on, on some fronts, religion silencing the voice of its daughters. 
And we stand in the middle in this season to be compelling daughters of God who open our mouths with wisdom and kindness to actually understand that Jesus is coming back for a bride. And that is why there is an attack against women right now. And that is why there's an attack against marriage and kind of pull back of the veil on the ideology. It's not an ideology. This is a battle, as you know, Stacy, between a woman and a dragon that began between a woman and a serpent. And it's now grown to such a level of assault that we can't wrestle with it in flesh and blood, but we need to wrestle with it in the spirit by living the truth in love. We have a culture that has preached love without the truth because the church preached truth without love. And mm -hmm. so here's our day of living the truth in love. And I do believe that people now more than ever, no matter how mean they are, no matter how binary they are, how divisive they are, they are longing to see men and women, families do life well and love one each other well. And so to that end, um, I'm, I'm so honored to be a, a, a daughter of God. I've never been so proud to be a mother. I've never been so proud to be entrusted with grandkids or to be entrusted with any kind of voice into the house of, of God. And I, I just think that the church needs to stop dividing and fighting and start lifting their eyes and, and worshiping Jesus instead of telling everybody what they can and cannot do. We need to model what Jesus has anointed us to do. Amen. What do you think will happen when the vast majority of women discover really who they are in Christ and, and embrace their identity and step into all that is? What will happen in the world? I think we'll see a realization of Psalm 68, uh, verse 11, where, where we are right now surrounded by a siege. You know, that is, and Psalm 68 says, the Lord announces victory. So we need to say what he is saying, not what we feel, not what we're saying. As someone just went through menopause, you don't live by your feelings. You have to live by the word of God, but that we would begin to say what God would say over our situation. And then there would be a recovery of what's been lost because we have, we suffered loss on so many fronts. And I believe that God is saying, if my people who are called by my name, humble themselves, pray and turn from their own wicked ways. He will hear from heaven and heal our land. That's what I'm believing for. Yes. And amen. So, ah, oh, so to close, would, would you just pray for us? Absolutely. Oh, thank you. So honored. Heavenly father. I just thank you for every woman, every son that happens to be under the sound of my voice. Father, we release them from any bondage of religion and we thank you that they would experience a vibrant, intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. God, yes, I would God. ask that you would begin to call them by name, yes, that you God. would call them by that weaving that you wove them in their mother's womb, that you would call them into a place of fearful wonder, not fearful and wondering, but fearful wonder. Father, I thank you that you are growing them into the likeness of who you made them to be by your love. 
And so let your love transform us into the image of your son. And Father, we just thank you that you are intimately involved, that you are not watching for us to make a mistake. You know we're going to make a mistake, but you are the one who even takes our mistakes and turns it around for good. So Father, I speak to hardened hearts, frightened hearts, broken hearts, and I release the healing word of God into your body, into your mind, into your spirit. And Father, I thank you that you're raising up a people who will live well and love well, that they will love fearlessly, hope outrageously, and Father, live lives of purpose beyond measure in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Yes, God. Yes. Oh, dear ones, in Jeremiah 31, 3, it says, Our Father says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have continued my faithfulness to you. Embrace everything we have talked about today. Say yes and amen to the prayer that Lisa prayed. Truth over you. It is an everlasting love. And may all this truth seep deeply into your heart and soul. Friends, we'll be putting in the show notes all the many ways that you can connect with Lisa and, and the incredible resources that she has created for you. Lisa, thank you. Oh, it's my honor, Stacey. <laughs> oh, bless you. Bless you, 10,000s. And friends, remember you, you beloved ones. The king right now is captivated by you. Till next time. Friends, this is Stacey Burton, and wow, wasn't that incredible? And I'm so glad to say that we have a little extra for you today, because sometimes the conversations that happen after the podcast ends are pure gold. So keep listening to what Lisa and Stacey talked about after they thought I had stopped recording. I love that. I love oh. it. Oh my goodness. My I am. My heart is just bursting with the the truth and the joy, the glory, the all of it. I know you have to go, but I wanted to tell you one thing. Yeah. And when no, getting on that plane, you mentioned uh you met you you recognized Melanie. Yeah. Um, yeah. And when I talked with her later, she said when you first moved to Colorado Springs, she was sitting behind you and your family. I don't know if you had all four sons yet at that point. Mm -hmm. But God gave her the assignment to pray for you and your family for five wow. years. Wow. Right? So every day. And then he released her. But I just thought, oh, you know, we talked about intercession, but the, oh, how he is raising it up for you, your husband, your family, your ministry, all over the world that we don't even know about. So I just, I just wanted to Thank encourage you. you with that. Yeah. Thank you. I just got back from the UK. And um, I was in Manchester, uh, UK, and God is just, he's doing something like um, someone was there that had just come from Poland and she's been ministering to the Ukrainian refugees crossing the border who have lost everything, uh -huh. everything, everything, I've been stripped of everything. <clears throat> and she said, they've gone from having a little Ukrainian charge of 150 people to 1500 people. And wow. the people are experiencing the love and the presence of God at such a level of such a, a deep intimacy, transforming level than they ever had when they had everything. And um, I just, listen, I don't want that to be what it has to take for me to, to experience that. But when you hear about people that lose everything and yet gain everything, it's just, it's just so beautiful. Oh, so it is. I am, it is, it is I, how was your retreat? You were, you were headed to that. Oh, it was great. It was, okay. it was really, really good. And then, and then since then, I just got back from the UK as well and did oh, a, great. yeah, did an event with uh, people from all over 
Europe, um, yes, Poland, Slovakia. We need to coordinate. We do. And it was so, oh, it was just so beautiful. God is so on the move all over the world. And to tell those stories to one another versus, ah, the bad news, bad news. Oh no, Jesus is victorious and he is, he is moving. Yes, he is. And more and more of the women are, um, they're like waking up and realizing, wait a minute, what if I, what if I've given up? Like saying, I don't want men to protect, I'm going to be independent, which, you know, I get, you know, my parents were divorced twice that trains you to be like, you can't trust men, you can't, you know, but I just remember God saying, I'm not asking you to trust your husband. I'm asking you to trust me. And I was like, yes, yes. The mission isn't about trusting a husband. It's about trusting me. Yes. Yes. And for me, that was, that was the turning point. I think I was only 80, it was 1986 when that happened for me. And, and just, I feel like we need to bring a whole nother generation back into that because I think they think, cause I'm strong, I'm, I'm independent, but I'm strong because I am interdependent not independent or codependent but interdependent on god and and a relationship with my husband who who is constantly challenged me to grow in godliness yes i think i i ended up ministering and i think you're probably seeing this happen too i ended up ministering but then afterwards sitting with the leaders of the organizations and the different uh, countries they were coming from and stuff sitting and eating a meal for three and a half hours and how do you do life? How do you do parenting? How exactly. do you do marriage? Yes. How do you keep your relationship with Jesus fresh? What is, I mean, th- those are the conversations that to me are more valuable than the platform. But yes, you know, great to do both. Yes, exactly. The intimate. You're just, you're just quicking my um, memory. And so I remember the moment when God said to me, trust me when I wasn't trusting my husband, because he's making us move. He's making us do these things I didn't want to do. And, and I say, and it felt like he was making us do it versus an interdependent relationship. And I trust God and you actually have our best. And this isn't just about him. It's about me and our family. And there's so much goodness and more. And he has to teach others how to live how to live, how to love, how to grow, how to trust. We need it. We need it desperately. Thank you for doing that. Yes. Oh, I'm, I'm so honored. I'm so honored. So any, anytime, anytime you want a uh, Sicilian on your podcast, just tell me and I will come anyway, but anyway, I love can't you. wait. Love you oh, too. Thank you. Bless right. you and John. You <laughs> Bye. Bye.